Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James and today on the podcast, I'm joined by Victoria Devine. Victoria runs Australia's largest personal finance podcast. It's primarily targeted at young millennials who want to really get their money in order. And she's probably got the biggest online Facebook community that I've ever seen that's Australian uh, with close to 200,000 Uh, young people and probably people of all ages actually that are in the She's on the Money Facebook group. She's recently released a book of the same name and I thought I would get her on the podcast, would have a chat, have a bit of fun. I asked her about her own money story, which, you know, a lot of people might not know uh, and I didn't. That's why I asked her and just had some bants with her and she now owes me an episode on her show when my book is released later in the year. But If you haven't already purchased her book, it's a really good starting point for anyone that wants to get better with their money and understanding money terms. Uh, A lot of you might be asking, well, should we wait for your book, Glenn? Buy both. They're completely different books. You'll hear more about it uh, in this episode. But thank you so much for listening. We do this podcast for, you know, all the butchers, the bakers and all the candlestick makers. So thank you so much for listening, guys. Let's get into it. Thanks, Victoria, for joining me today. We're going to have a great chat. Now, you have just released a book called She's on the Money. Uh, We're going to talk about the book. Uh, We'd love to have authors on the podcast to talk about uh, books that they've written about money Uh, because it's funny, Victoria, maybe 10 years ago. Yeah, your book's funny, but maybe 10 years ago, a little bit less, people were thinking books were dead but I think there's been a bit of a resurgence uh, with books, just from my own anecdotal vibes and experience, that it's actually nice to get back offline and not to have a freaking screen in front of us. Yeah, I would agree. I remember when the Kindle was the massive thing and then like Google brought out their own version and everyone had their kind of like book reader thing and everyone mm. was like, paper's dead. Well, look at us now. How about it? Now, this podcast, we are talking about Victoria's book, She's on the Money. Uh, full disclosure, it's not a sponsored episode or anything like that. I, just I wouldn't wanted... pay you, Glenn James. Come <laughs> That's on true. Now. <laughs> she actually wouldn't. Um, I like I that just... you're like, we have to disclose this. And everybody who actually listens to us is like, no, she wouldn't pay him. Not a no. chance. But like any author that comes on, uh, it's just something that I legitimately am interested in. Oh, come on, Glenn. You're not interested. This is tit for tat. You and I know that your book is going to come out and you're going to go, Victoria, I want my own episode on She's on the Money about my book. I'm so aware of that. That's fine. But I will say on my podcast, I've had Paul Benson. I've had Vince Scully. I've had Julia Newbold and Kate McCallum for their book. So I know. 
They're big also, shoes to follow. I know. But also, I'll come on your podcast and we'll talk about my book. But today is all about your book. Uh, plenty of listeners to My Millennial Money listen to She's on the Money, the podcast. Which so I love. I you love the podcast? Or you no, love I the, love our, that there's such a crossover. Listeners. Like, I love yeah. that they listen to both. Yeah. So what I thought we would do is rather than just blatantly flogging your book to people. Which we could do. Which we could do. And if you want to buy it, there's a link in the show notes. I want to actually talk to you about your own experience with money. Oh, okay. But to do that, uh, I want to actually go through the chapters of your book and it will serve two purposes. It will allow people to understand what's in the book. And also allow people to understand a little bit about you personally. Okay. And then we might swing around and answer one or two listener questions that have been uh, sent in. I like that. You're running this show. Let's go. I know. So the first chapter is everybody's got a story. And I wanted to ask you your own money story. And on She's on the Money, you always talk about you know, the warm and fuzzy, you've got to have a money story and understand your origins and all that stuff. In that tone of voice, like it's all warm and fuzzy. I know, it's all warm and fuzzy. Oh my gosh, guys, like where I'm- But it's true. It is. So I want you to tell us about money for you growing up. Oh, interesting question. And do you know, I've never been asked that. Nobody has actually asked me. I mean- individuals have, so that's probably a stretch, but nobody in the public eye has ever asked me what my money story is growing up. And to be honest, it's quite bland. So I grew up with parents who were married and still are married and are sickly in love with each other, which is very sweet. My dad's an accountant and my mum worked as an autopsy technician, which is like it's an coroner. So like cuts up dead people. So me in grade three would be like, oh, my mum chops up dead people, which was really sweet. But my mum worked all the way through me being at school. So I remember distinctly always being like, oh my God, I hate after school care and stuff like that because I knew mum was at work. But now looking back on that, she gave me a really good education in having your own income and contributing to family and all of that, which not everyone wants to do, which is totally fine. But for me, I think I always followed in my mum's footsteps. Like she just did whatever she wanted to do career wise, which I guess gave me the audacity to just think I could as well, which was really nice. But growing up, we weren't rich. We weren't poor. I would say that we were happily middle class, you know, money for me growing up wasn't really a point of contention in saying that. Like I do distinctly remember being taught about money, but also not absorbing it in the way that I wish I had, right? And I think that you only learn when you're ready to learn about a topic. So even though my dad would be like, okay, cool, this is how money works. This is how budgeting works, rah, rah, rah. It was one of those things that I just didn't listen. And money for me You could exchange for goods and services when I was young. Then when I got to about 14, my mum bought a business. So she was, you know, working in pathology. She was doing all of this stuff, but then also was like, I really want to teach my kids about business and about being independent. And historically, my mum had owned businesses on her own before. 
So she bought a coffee cart, which is like this coffee cart that goes around to markets. And like we sourced our own coffee and I learned to be a barista at 14. And she would literally make me sit down and do the budget with her and understand what cups would cost and the different budgets associated with like, do you want the ridged cups or the smooth ones? Like the ridged ones are a bit more expensive, but people at markets prefer that because their coffee stays a little bit warmer for a little bit longer. And I remember arguing with her because I really wanted to sell cookies and she was like no they're individually wrapped ones like they're like four dollars the margin on that's not proper like it was really interesting learning about that but then also coming home after a day at one of the markets where mum would make us get up at like four in the morning and go to this market set up you know serve coffee for a few hours and we'd be home by lunch but she'd be like okay cool like how much profit did we make Victoria how much can you afford to pay yourself how much can you afford to pay your sister like it was really interesting at the time and I remember being really frustrated sometimes because I'd be like I don't want to do these markets but she kind of ingrained in us from a really young age that business ownership could be done it was work but for me it was never something that I was like oh that'll never be me it was more when I work out what business I want to run um so I think that that is a really interesting piece of my money story that a lot of people aren't gonna know but also will go oh this makes sense as to why she's where she is now because it's been something that I guess has been a part of my uh what would you say foundations for so long but yeah and what age were you when mum had the started her business with the coffee cart? So she started it when we were probably, or when I was 14, and my sister would have been three years younger than that, but it was always just a weekend thing. So she was still full-time during the week doing that. She literally bought this as like a side hustle and something that she could do during the weekends or like after work and to genuinely teach us business. Like talking to her now, she'd be like, yeah, I bought that business so I could teach you. Um, which is cool. It's fascinating because, you know, age 14, 15, 16, 17, like they are some of the most influential years of your life around uh, music, culture, the way you see the world, good and bad. Now, growing up, what was your family's relationship with consumer debt? Not aware, but I don't think it was ever a bad thing. Like I never remember hearing about credit cards. And when I talk to my parents now, I don't think it was something that was an issue. Like, I mean, I could be absolutely mistaken, but at the same time, I remember my mum always being like, oh, cool. Like I did X, Y, Z, or she'd say, you know, I think my parents, like, this is just like so deep. Sorry, mum and dad, if you're listening, but I think my parents- They listen to the show. They do actually listen to a lot of the podcasts I do with other people, which I'm very grateful for. Um, They're probably like, oh, she needs to be quiet. Um, Or they'll say, that's not how that story happened. Um, But- I think growing up, my parents were pretty good with money. Like I remember mum, because she worked full time for a lot of my childhood, I remember she'd be like, yeah, I saved for that holiday all on my own. Like I liked to surprise your dad that it was all paid off by the time we went on the holiday. And so mum's always been really savvy with money, not necessarily in a, in a super wealthy way, but she's always been good at being frugal. Like that, I think that that has set them up for success and, you know, I know she's always been really about secondhand items and like, well, if you can just buy it secondhand, why would you buy a brand new one? And like fixing things, she's very crafty and handy. But yeah, I I don't think consumer debt was something that my family ever struggled with. 
But in saying that, I did personally when I was young. So once I turned 18 and got a credit card and once I turned, um, I think I was 22 and I took out a personal loan to travel to Europe for an exchange program, it was Spano and I ended up in a bit of a pickle myself. Which is not um, out of the ordinary for a lot of people listening. Uh, Growing up, what was your experience in seeing in your family and your world uh, giving and generosity? Massive. Massive. Um, my mum would give you everything she had if it knew it put you in a better position. And my dad is exactly the same, um, regardless of, you know, what they were serving for dinner. Anybody was welcome. They'd always make sure that people weren't unable to eat and they weren't people that didn't want to share. I remember, um, you know, one year I would have been like 15 and my sister would have been probably like 12, nearly 13. I might've been 16. I can't remember, but I remember being a young adult. Mum was just like, no, you guys aren't grateful enough for the life that you have. Um, You're not spending Christmas at the dining table. We're not doing presents. Um, We're actually going to go to a homeless shelter and we are going to be serving Christmas lunch to them and you are going to give back and you're going to learn. And I think that those things were really formative because it wasn't the first time my mum had done stuff like that, but she's always been incredibly generous. Like she would give it to you before she had it for herself. And yeah, I hope that I get to take on some of that as well and I guess give more than you get. Well, shout out to uh Shout Eric out to Judy. Judy. The Judester, yeah. as the she's Judester. Uh, as she's known. <laughs> uh, what would you say your biggest fear is, Victoria? My biggest fear. This mm. is really deep, Glenn James. Um I don't know. Thanks for prepping me with the questions before coming. You're welcome. Is inadequacy a good fear? Uh sure. I mean are you saying I have a fear of becoming inadequate or I have a fear of yeah, self like, of I am already inadequate? No, I don't and- think I am. I think just being put in a position where I can't help or I'm, you know, not able to help somebody else. I think I'm really grateful to be in a position now where I can give back and I do give back. And it's not something that I talk about a lot. And I don't think you talk about yours as much either, just because it's nobody else's business and I'm not doing it for clout. I'm not doing it so other people can go, wow, she's so generous and charitable or she's a philanthropist. Like that's a joke. And I don't want that type of, what do you call it, clout. But Mm. I do genuinely think that one day I'll just feel inadequate and I don't want that. I think that you know, I always want to feel like I can give back. And for me, that's really important. Are you a morning or night person? Night. Are you a spender or saver? Um, I am both. Okay, cool. Uh, do you prefer your sauce in the fridge or room temp? Which sauce are we talking about here? Tomato Is it like soy sauce? Because soy sauce goes in the pantry. But tomato sauce, that stuff goes in the fridge. Cool. Uh, <laughs> chapter two, you talked about mapping out your money. <laughs> Thank you for that. No, that's right. Uh, you're wrong. It needs to go in the uh, pantry tomato sauce. Oh, gross. Um, it goes off. Do you really think it has enough preservatives? Mate, there's enough. <laughs> I do. There's enough gross. bloody sugar and salt in that. Uh, so no, I'm not having two, you it. You about... need cold sauce. I'm not having this. I think I need to end so the wanna, podcast. So do you genuinely believe that that is sauce. a good idea? I want to put cold sauce on my hot meal. But yes, you to do. Be honest, I don't actually keep tomato or barbecue sauce in my house because Why? it's so bad for you. I don't um, actually this, eat either of these this things, body but look at us. Is a temple. It's oh, a temple. Oh, is it? Back off. 
back off. It's a temple pumped full of caffeine, that's for sure. Map out your money. What do you mean? What do you mean by mapping out your money? So, this to me is really important because if you want to go somewhere but you don't know where you're starting from, how on earth are you getting there? So, I think understanding where you're currently standing and seeing exactly what your current financial position is in comparison to where you want to go is essential and too many people skip that step. They will go, oh, I did this great budget but they have not addressed their spending habits or they've not addressed the consumer debt that they're in or they haven't put themselves in the best possible position. So my genuine belief is that before you do anything with money, you need to genuinely understand where you're starting from so that we can create a plan to get somewhere. And I say something similar in the book, but if you want to go to Queensland on a holiday, but you're starting in Perth and you don't know you're in Perth, it's going to be really hard to get there. You might end up in Melbourne, you might end up in Uluru, you might not end up even leaving because you've got analysis paralysis. And I just think that understanding where you're starting from is really important. And the mapping out your money segment of my book talks about earn, spend, own and owe, which are four different terms and four different numbers that I want people to just genuinely understand. Like I'd want to be able to say to you, Glenn, hey, Glenn, do you know in total, like each year what you earn? And you'll go, yep. What do you spend? Like, I'm not talking about, do you off the top of your head have a detailed budget? But on average, are you earning what you're spending or spending more than you're earning or vice versa? Like, what does that look like? I want you to always be aware of your debts. So what do you owe? And then I also want you to understand what your assets are. So what do you own? And where on a map does that put you so that we can start creating a plan to move forward? Because not everyone's plan looks the same and we need to just focus on us, not focus on, oh my God, I feel so bad because, you know, Glenn's in this great financial position, but I'm starting my journey here. Like there's no point looking at somebody else's map. It's not going to get you anywhere. So that's what that's about. (laughs) No, that's cool. And it's funny, like it's for any area in our life, you know, if we want change or if we want to move in a direction, it's like when you go to Westfield and you go to that screen and you've got to find where you know, Kiki K's because they moved it from downstairs. So I don't know, it actually shut down or something, whatever that is. Uh, <laughs> you've got to, yeah, when I go and buy like a gift, I need a card. And How often do you go Kiki K? Like I adore Kiki K, but I just I, can't I like see it. you going in and being like, I need I, some new stationery. It's monogrammed. Well, they used to gift wrap, they gift wrap stuff for me. So I used to like going there. But oh, right. my point is, you've that got is to find- lazy. Well, I know my strengths and my weaknesses yep, and gift I like wrapping that. isn't a strength. Uh, but it's all about finding where you're at first. Yeah, uh, so agreed. You talked about in chapter, let's go to chapter four. You're going to skip cash flow? Okay, yeah, no problems, I am, you do you. Because I want to get to the meaty stuff. Uh, so yeah, chapter three, cash flow is queen. Chapter four, be a, be a goal setter. Be a goal, goal getter. getter. Come on. So what would you say to somebody around uh, setting and executing goals? You can't achieve everything at once and you've got to space it out. You've got to actually make a plan. It's one thing to have a plan and go, I want to buy a house. And I go, wow, Glenn, that's so exciting. But then find out you don't have any income and you actually have a whole heap of debt. And that goal is actually really unachievable for you. And the easiest way to be disheartened or start believing that you're not capable of something is to set an unrealistic expectation of yourself. So for me, goal setting is really important, but it's also really important to be realistic and pragmatic and actually you 
use a framework for goal setting so that you don't end up disheartened. And I see this a lot in my community. People will message me and be like, oh my God, Victoria, I set the goal of saving $5,000 this year and it just didn't happen. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, why? And they're like, oh, I just, I couldn't make it happen. And I go, okay, like, what do you earn? And they're like, oh, $55,000 a year. And I'm like, okay, great. Like, what do you spend? Oh, 50 grand a year. And I go, cool. So like, where's the money coming from for coffees? Where's the money coming from for the rest of your lifestyle? Oh yeah, that's why I can't save. Okay, well, maybe we need to reevaluate the goal you set because regardless of what's going on, that was always going to be unachievable for you. You've just gotten to the end of a year and held yourself to an unrealistic standard that makes you feel terrible. Like nobody deserves that. Now, when I was reading your book and you think I, I still can't believe you read it, but no, no. okay. You've got an acronym for goals, S-O-T-M. Yeah, what's I thought that? that was pretty good. I thought yeah, that was I, pretty funny. I liked it. S-O-T-M, she's on the money. Yeah. Um, So the first one, when it comes to an actual framework, and I've, I guess, adapted the SMART methodology because I like the SMART methodology, but it's just got too many pieces. And obviously, if people are reading She's on the Money, we want to make sure that you're on the money. So the first one is specific. So you want it to be specific. You want to make sure that the content that you are putting in place is not just like, oh, I want to save money. Like, do you want to save money or do you want to save $5,000 or $10,000 or $15,000? Then next one is optimistic. Like we don't need negativity. We just need to be optimistic about a goal that we are setting. The next is time bound or timely and making sure that we actually set a specific time frame. And then that time frame is reflective of the goal. So if you say, I want to save $5,000 over the next 10 months, are you actually able to do that if we broke it down? And is that timeline fair for you? And then the next one is measurable. So just making sure that everything can be measured and that we can and actually celebrate when we achieve that success. Like what's the key indicator of success here? Like if you said saving money, well, if you say $5, have you achieved that goal? Whereas if we said $5,000, have we achieved that within the time frame that we set and actually put that money in our bank account? So for me, I think having a framework is really important. And there are so many, it doesn't mean that mine is the only one that you need to adhere to, but it's more around making sure that you actually have some methodology behind setting a goal so that when you achieve it, you can celebrate. Yeah, I uh, I must agree. It's just, and I was just looking here while you were talking. Um, you've got a cool worksheet in the book where you can actually write down your goals. And I think one of the the best points that you left room for people to write was about milestones because it's so, you know, we go 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 go, and you're in the trenches and you're like, I'm not making any progress. Set some milestones, come up for air, and go. When I get to even if if you break your goal down for to four stages and go at each stage, I'm stopping and I'm spending $50 on, I don't know. Going out a, some, for dinner some or Some fava enjoying beans something. and a bottle of key tea or <laughs> whatever. What? <laughs> we celebrate very differently, my friend, um, but. Actually, uh, did you ever watch Dumb and Dumber? Yes, I did. <laughs> I'm going to relax with some fava beans and a bottle of Chianti. <laughs> <laughs> You don't even drink wine, Glenn. <laughs> For the kids under 30 or under 25 They're not going to get that. You've got to no watch under, Dumb and Dumber. I'm no longer under 30. This I is know, a joke. I have dull. joined the Glenn James squad. Not for long, though, surely. Uh, 
I'm well under 40. Thank you oh, very much. Well I'm in my 40. 30s. Oh, you well, don't even under... look that old. For Someone a said the other day, yeah, I know. Someone's like, are you 34? I'm like, yeah, that'll do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. Thank you. I'll take whatever I can get these days. Um, but yeah, you've got to watch the movie Dumb and Dumber. No, you If really you want to know Glenn James's humour, my favourite movie, Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, you're pretty Oh my gosh, I know every line. It's amazing. I want to get to some fun stuff now. I'm going to skip down to chapter nine, uh, Investing 101. What was the purpose of this chapter? Excuse me? What? What was the point? Is is that what you're saying? What's the point? (laughs) Oh, no. I'm (laughs) leading the witness. I'm I'm, I'm like... I'm, I'm, I'm right. opening the floor to, right, for you to explain you. for people. But also, what was the point of it? What was the point? <laughs> Why'd you bother? Um, so this chapter was really, really important to me. And I actually struggled writing it for a really long time because I wanted to add too much context and I wanted to add too much, I guess, content. And, you know, I know that your book is going to cover this in so much more depth than what I am doing. And to be honest, I'm really grateful. Like, I hope that what I have created in the She's on the Money book is actually just setting you up to understand everything. It's not saying here's how to invest in this particular asset class. It's saying here are all the things that you need to understand. Here's what investing actually is. Let's talk about dividends. Let's talk about indexation. Let's actually talk about the different asset classes and what a risk profile is and what you need to understand before you actually jump in. So I believe um, the point of this book or the point of this chapter more closely, Glenn, is actually to get you to a point where you go, by the end of it, you go, I could invest easily. I could really easily invest. I can see how much I want to invest. I can see what what assets I really want to look at. I understand what types of assets I want to pick based on my risk profile and go from there because everybody can Google what an ETF is and, you know, look at what that's going to look like. I've obviously given some examples, but for me, it was getting you to a point where you go, I'm so excited to just begin rather than here's too much to overwhelm you, which is why I had to really, really strip it back. Yeah. So the biggest message that I think it conveys, you talk about consistency, time and diversification, like surely they're the three golden rules to investing. Yeah, they would be. So like mine or my golden rules for investing is just investing consistently over the long term. Like I want you to just find a goal, find something that's reasonable for you and just begin. Because obviously we know that money's really important, but the power of investing is over the long term because of the magic of compound interest. And just really getting people to understand that is really important. And that knowing that becoming comfortable with the share market It can be really overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. So I didn't want this chapter to be information overload where you walk away and go, whoa, that was a lot to swallow Mm. and feeling like you're not empowered. I feel like there's a really thin line when it comes to the difference between empowerment and overeducation. And I believe that, and I know, and I've said it in the book, there's no such thing as being too educated, but there definitely is information overload at one point in time. Like if I said to you, Glenn, go and read 50 books on investing and then start, you'll be like, oh my gosh, analysis paralysis, like I'm not ready. I want people to finish my book and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so ready for the next thing that comes. I'm not, you know, it's not the be all end all. It's not the only finance book you're ever going to need. 
I mean, it could be, but I want it to be something that you go, oh, I want to pick up something else and just see what that fits like. I want to see if that plan works for me so that you can work out what works for you because there's no such thing as one size fits all financial advice. Yeah. And I think like online and in Facebook groups, a lot of people get distracted with what's the cheapest platform? What's the cheapest brokerage? What's this? Like the fact that you've picked something and to consistently invested, more times than not, you'll do better uh, than someone who's waiting on the sidelines, waiting for the correct conditions, be it the market, be it uh, the platform, be it the investment, and overcooking it with their thoughts and not taking action. The fact that you've taken action uh, means you are living on less than what you earn and you are investing and you've just got to, you know, grab a book like this to let it be your introduction. And the thing is, Victoria, someone, you know, reading this book, and it's not just for girls. Like it says she's on the money. I am the Um, she and she's on the money. Like I am on the money. It's audacious, but that's what Mm. the name means. (laughs) Yeah. She's on lots of it. (laughs) (laughs) So kind to me. Thank you. But people in, I don't know, 15 years will look back and go, it was this book that, started to move the needle in my life. And I hope that that's the case. Like, how cool would that be? Like, we already get that, Glenn, and you'd be in exactly the same position as me where you get messages from people being like, Victoria, like, I can see that I'm in a better financial position than 12 months ago because of your content. Like, how cool is Mm. it to know that the impact we are having is sustainable and it's not just like, oh, cool, she put out this really sweet Instagram post and I followed her. It's like, oh, this content actually is going to put you in a better financial position and genuinely change your life. Like, I think that's epic. It's funny. I've got a, because I do the My Millennial Money Express podcast, I always have like my Google Keep thing with different notes about topics I can rant on. And one of my topics is, and here's the premise of the episode, it's about lowering your expectations. Because for me, in my life, that's the premise of the episode, lowering your expectations yeah, totally. about Victoria's book. Thank you. Uh, but no, about everything. <laughs> like if you lower your expectations and not be a snotty brat about every, whether you're lining up to wait for a coffee, whether you are driving in traffic, whether you pick up Victoria's book, whether you listen to my podcast, whatever you do, just lower your expectations and just look for the, for the small signs of life. Look for the small shoots. Look for... I don't know, because I think as society goes, where everything's one click delivered, instant, perfect online, when we actually live in the freaking real world, it doesn't happen that way. Uh, And I just, I've just lowered my expectations. Like, And it makes you so much happier. Like, mm. if you lower your expectations, everything always exceeds them. Like, that is cool. Like, you're like, oh, my God, it might take five minutes to get this coffee and then you get it early. You're like, wow, that was so speedy. How great. Like, And it's it's not about, like, lowering your standards because... No, that's not expectations. That's standards. We don't lower those. No, not at all. But, you know, in this situation, I want you to pick up Victoria's book. And when mine comes, pick up my book and go, look, I've just invested 30 bucks or whatever it is. If I can learn one thing out of this book and apply it, that $30 will have thousands and thousands of dollars worth of change in your life because it's about moving the needle. And 
I don't know where I was going with that, but um, but I like it. But I do want to go back to your point on like fees before, and I know Mm -hmm. we weren't talking about this in my book, but pay peanuts, you get monkeys, and if you yeah, you get Glenn James. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've never met a financial advisor who has picked an investment platform for themselves based on fees. Like, have you ever looked at platforms and been like, oh well, as a financial advisor, I want the cheapest one. No, because it's not about fees. Exactly. It's about- so why do our communities get so hung up on, oh my gosh, that's not the cheapest one. This is a cheaper platform. And it's like, my friends, that's not what it boils down to. Well, because like things, most things in life, it's a race to the bottom for cost. And whether it's buying a new TV, a new fridge, uh, it's all about getting the cheapest thing, but it doesn't work like that in money because when I invest, it's about first, my long-term goal. Second, it might be about estate planning and asset structure. Third, I might throw a tax lens over it to see if it's efficient. Uh, And then fourth, it's like, okay, based on this funnel down here, what are my options? And for example, um, I use an investment bond with Generation Life and I've got the Vanguard Diversified High Growth in that investment bond. And that fees might be 0.69% where I can go to my share broker and buy that same investment for 0.27%, which is cheaper, but it doesn't meet Glenn James's need because I want an investment bond for estate planning and for tax purposes. And I'm happy to pay for that little bit of extra fee because it meets a need. Yeah, because an investment bond is quite tax effective as well. Like there are so many more cogs than just the one people are looking at when they say, oh, well, what are the fees? Like how many blips is that going to cost me? I I don't know if I told you, but when (laughs) I... um, Oh no, where are we going? (laughs) Well, it's it's not you, it's me. Um, I, I, I finished writing my book and... I didn't open yours and start reading it till I'd sent my final one into the um, Chris, my project manager. <laughs> I, I like that. Because I, I didn't want to like subconsciously steal stuff from you. Oh my gosh, and it would be so easy. I refuse to pick up a finance book. And if I needed something from mm. any kind of research, like I was doing a bit of research online or if I wanted to reference a book, I would literally ask somebody else to find that for me because I was so scared of plagiarism. I was like, I what if it gets stuck in my head and then I can't think of anything else and then I convince I myself that that's mine? Like, what if I do that? That's terrifying. But I'm... Yeah, so when mine comes out, I might piss a lot of people off because I had a, I've got a case study in it where showing you that um, if you picked one of the cheapest super funds in Australia, <laughs> you would have been worse off than choosing one with higher fees. Glenn James, that is so, controversial. Uh, it's, there's a few companies that won't want to work with me after That's the book's right. released. But um, it's just my truth, as Oprah would say. Oh, you're Oprah now. <laughs> yeah, and Glenn it's my James truth. is the new Oprah. Hey, we're going to have a quick break. We'll come back. We'll uh, we'll bring this home with a couple of questions from Instagram that have come in. Oh, fun! And uh, we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
All right, peeps, we are back. Now, I'm reading a question here, Victoria. Oh, was there anything else you wanted to add about um, your book? No, it's fine. Okay, here's a question from Kate W11. Hi, Kate W11. Hi, Kate W11. Is it better to invest in property or stocks? Well, it kind of flows on to that fee discussion with working out what you're doing first. Like, I don't know, what do you think's better? And what do you invest in yourself, Victoria? Me personally? Yeah. Um, I don't invest in property. I own property, but I don't invest in it. I have a, <laughs> with such financial advisors, you can tell a financial advisor when they're talking about one of their assets as the family home. Um, <laughs> it's so bad, yeah. but yeah, I, I own a house with my partner, Stephen, and we currently live in it. So we don't see it as an investment, but we did purchase it with an investment lens on knowing that the area we purchased in, it was close to public transport and we knew that it would rent out. Well, if we decide to move move on. And I think that was important, but I don't think that there's a right or a wrong when it comes to property or shares. Like it comes down to your personal values. So I've got a client who has never been good at saving, but was so motivated by property, but you couldn't pick up the motivation in the share discussion. Like if I said they were really high income earners, so they were saving like three grand a month, but they were saving that because they were so excited about their property goal. Whereas if I'd said, oh my gosh, invest $3,000 a month, they wouldn't have been interested. They wouldn't have been able to meet that goal because it just wasn't aligned to their personal values. So I think that the first thing there is like, why property? Is that something that you're just super excited about? It is it is it something where you're actually a chippy and you're really good at flipping properties for other people and now you want to do that for yourself? Is it something that just lights that fire inside of you? Yes, they have different yields, but also let's talk about capital. You have to stump up a lot of capital to get into the property market. You need to come up with a deposit. In most states, you need to pay some level of stamp duty. There's other fees. You then have rates and water and all of these other bills each year. And a mortgage, if you haven't purchased the property outright, And a mortgage is something you are genuinely tied to for the next 30 years. Whereas when it comes to investing in shares, there's obviously a lower access point. But then also, if one month you crashed your car and had really big bills, you don't also have that mortgage repayment. There's a lot more flexibility. So it's actually just based on your goals. Glenn, what would you say? Yeah, I I would just agree with that. I mean, I don't want to waste people's precious time by repeating that. It it just really you don't want to waste people's time, but you and Vince do ninety minute episodes on the pod. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this isn't a campfire chat. This is a okay. Sorry, not a campfire chat. On it, I I do both myself, and I like investing in a share portfolio uh, because I can just drip feed it like. I put a few hundred dollars a month into my investment bond. It's it's easy. I put money into my superannuation each month. It's easy. Nice uh, to be rich, me, Glenn. Yeah, it's it's good. But um, I <laughs> luckily this is at the end of the episode, so you don't get as much <laughs> if hate because not as around, many people. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, but I you've got to play to your strengths as well. Like so, with property investing, my investment properties are on principal and interest, right? And my house, because I need that for savings because old money sticky fingers here, if there's money laying around, he will get his mitts on it and buy another dumb car. (laughs) He'll buy another dumb watch. He'll buy a freaking new boat motor. I am Glenn James and I'm a spender and I can't save money. So I've had to make sure I'm an investor. So for me, uh, the property 
Uh, it's forced I'm, savings. Totally. It forces you into going, oh, I have this commitment and I can't get out of that and I have to save or, quote, pay that each and every single month, which I know a lot of people like that. My partner is like that. That's why we mm. ended up owning a property because he had a great income, but I was like, we need to capture this, my friend. I just have this thing. I am doing the Glen of Tomorrow a favour today. Future you. If you've read my book, you would know we speak a lot about putting future you first. (laughs) See, I told you you didn't read it. I told you. No, 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 no. I believe that Mm -hmm. um, is the chapter of uh, financial freedom is the new retirement chapter 18. Yeah, that, but also there are a number of other ones. I'm offended. I text Victoria the other day and I'm like, my favourite chapter is chapter 20. She's like, why? I'm like, because it's the shortest one. Yeah. You that also, was, okay, you also sent me a video of you putting <laughs> my book in the bin. No, no, it wasn't putting the book in the bin. Okay, was I was looking for something bin. in the bin and the book was under the rubbish. Yeah, um, which was really nice of you. You're just such a supportive friend. Okay, real talk. So chapter 20, it's a bit yes. light. It's a bit light. Was on, it like, it? we're going to make 20 chapters and I'll just fill it? <laughs> No, it wasn't. It was, I'm not going to write unnecessarily. It's like a good little wrap up. All right. Sure. Excuse Um, me. Which which leads to the next question um, from Jacqueline Accountability partners. Having an accountability partner, I'm pretty sure from memory it's like two pages max. And it's not, you could have squished it on one. I, I'm going to read the chapter because it's literally read the like chapter. no, no, it's bloody two paragraphs. Uh, and Jacqueline Eve says, "Are you sick of Glennie James picking on you?" <laughs> yes, but it's kind of like Stockholm syndrome. Like we now have a relationship where I'm like, "Oh, this is how it is. I'm a pleaser." Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're lucky this is deep in the podcast. You're going to get some hate. You you attract it, don't you? Oh God! What, what other doing? questions have you got? We're not reading the chapter okay. and wasting people's okay. time. Emily GB says, how's the house reno going? Uh, slowly. And it keeps getting cancelled because every time I plan on having my builder over, we go back into lockdown. <laughs> so good for uh, me. I still have horrendous... Uh, I still what have are you her- actually renovating? Sorry. What are you um, renovating? So we'll be doing a pretty serious reno. We'll be doing new kitchen, new bathrooms, changing the location of the master bedroom and kind of flipping the layout of the house, which will be really fun. And to be honest, isn't as dramatic as it sounds, um, but the house definitely needs it. Like the bathrooms are, you could well, say ick is a good way. Well, I hope you get some it. change out of 200 grand. Um, oh, look, it was a part of the plan when we bought the property. Right. And I think that that's important to preface as well. I didn't just buy a property and plan on flipping it into my dream house. Like mm. we bought for location knowing that we'd also have to invest a fair bit into getting the home that we feel comfortable with. Uh, we might have two more questions. Fringe Neglect says, how does V feel about balancing life in a profession with influencing? Oh, interesting. Like as in because they <laughs> uh, think I'm an influencer? Yeah, well, you um, are. I think it is awesome because I think it's also a really entitled position to sit in, which means I don't actually do all that much influencer work. I love having a platform where people want to understand my perspective and being able to share really positive things and promote the things that I'm so passionate about believing in. But I do say no to 99% of people that slide into my DMs like, clients and potential collaborations just because my priority is actually on finance 
in saying that I adore skincare and I have some brands that I am working with because I already use them and it's just like fun to do. So yeah, that's, I guess, how I balance it. But in saying that, when it comes to like work-life balance, a lot of people have asked me historically, like, oh, what does your partner think of you working so much? Um, I think it's important to preface he works just as much as me and is really supportive of what we do and how we're building financial freedom together. Okay, question. I always forget to ask you this. I'm well, Glenn. Thank you for finally asking me how I am. Secondly, can I interview Steve? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why not? Oh my gosh, I've got to gatekeep something. He doesn't even have Instagram and he never goes on Facebook because he doesn't like social media. All right, I seriously. The man. What do you want to ask? How do you put up with Victoria's bullshit? He'll be like, I don't know. Seriously, ask him if I can interview him. All right. He'll say no. Uh, We can just ask. What do you want to ask him? I'm going to do his money story. His money story. I'm going to talk about his life growing up. Um, All the questions. Yeah, okay. His dreams and his hopes. Oh, God. You know, living in the shadow of such a giant, all that stuff. <laughs> he will absolutely flat out refuse that offer. Okay, so let's apologies. ask him. Uh, Willow and Bro, now that V has a mortgage, is her focus on still investing or is it now paying down debt? Um, Just like short, sharp, it's investing. We just pay minimum repayments on our mortgage. I think we've got like a 2.4% mortgage. And so- Are you P&I? Pardon, yeah, we P&I, yeah. so principal and interest, and we just pay that at a minimum and then I invest anything else that we have. Uh, I guess my priority over the long term for us is to create financial freedom and I think that right now we are just kind of making hay while the sun is shining with the interest rates being so low, but that situation might change depending on what the interest rates look like in the future, if I'm honest. Mm. Just works for us at the moment. Um and I really like the idea of, I guess, building that up over time. Um, yeah, that's where I am at. In finishing up, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think is important? I don't think so. I think it was a fun chat. Do you think it was a fun chat? I think your yeah. community and my community will enjoy it. You're like, no, they will not. No, I think they will. Well, Victoria, thank you so much for jumping on and having a chat with us. Thanks for Uh, hanging out. Your book, She's on the Money, it's available now wherever good books are sold. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, Some of the other chapters we didn't obviously get to, uh, dealing with debt, savings, uh, super, home loans. Uh, There's a chapter on tax, Uh, knowing your worth. That's a big one, particularly at work. Uh, Side hustles, insurance, relationships, family planning, estate planning, choosing a financial advisor. Uh, She's got a 12-month action plan. And there was actually a question from somebody in, and I'll just get it up and mention their name in finishing. Sal and Kay says, whose book's better? Well, in reading some of these chapters, they're different. So I don't really touch on relationships. I don't touch on family planning. Uh, I don't touch on accountability partners that much. I mean, I probably do. Look, I feel like we cross over a lot, but I think that's the beauty of this, you know, 
my book and probably your book. I haven't read yours yet because you haven't been graceful enough to share your manuscript. But it's one of those things where I didn't write this book thinking it was going to be the be all end all. I wrote this book because I was so passionate about finance and I wrote it for my community. I have written Mm. it as a really great start point. But as I said, like we don't go in depth. Like I don't go, hey, here's the be all end all of investing. Because whilst I'm passionate about it, it wasn't actually the call to action of the book. I wanted Mm. to give you a really good base framework to understand it and to be honest I can't wait to get my mittens on your book because I feel like it'll be like the next step like you'll kind of look at it in similar ways probably suggest some similar frameworks that are just your versions of things because at the end of the day like we're not reinventing wheels but Mm. I think that you'll suggest some things but then also go a lot deeper so I hope that they will work hand in hand if not I'm sure it'll still be a good read. I know but um, there will be some companies I can tell you that won't want to work with me after they read my book. I can't wait to read yours and be like, oh, that's a bird bridge. (laughs) You're like, I'm going to be poor because you definitely don't make money in books. Yeah. Victoria Devine, thank you so much. We will see you you soon. Bye. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.